podcast again on Boomerangs. This is Ruth. And this is Mike. And we're going to have a little discussion about the Golden Globes, which I watched all of and Mike watched some of. And we're also going to discuss a film called One Child Nation, which is about China's one child policy. What was the other thing? We were um, do you want to do New Year's resolutions? Oh, New Year's resolutions. Do you have any? No. I'm driving myself nuts. Okay. I have so many resolutions. Okay. This is a cry for help. Okay. Yeah, the Golden Globes. That was a total snore. I never want to see Ricky Gervais's face ever again. I don't think anyone else does either. They didn't. He didn't seem too well received. I find him insufferable. Did he really not want to be there, or was it was that a position he was taking for comedic effect, or does it matter? I don't know. He's always acted like he didn't want to be there. Right. But this was the most apathetic I've ever seen him, and it just seemed to bleed into all the rest of the ceremony. Yeah, it's true. People were like jaws were dropping all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but he made his name by being sort of the bad boy of the Golden Globes. Yes, he did. And there was a certain charm to it whenever it was 20 years ago or something. But it's like yeah. now he's a big we're boy and it's it's become a shtick. But it's not even a shtick. He's so cynical. He's bitter. And so, yeah, he yeah. just doesn't come across as anyone who should be on a stage doing Right. It's an interesting thing about comedy. If you're going to do that bitter stuff, it's almost like you, you have to be doing the bitter critiquing because underneath that you have sort of an idealism. That's like oh, a Lenny a Bruce point. who was very yeah. critical of the political establishment, but it's because underneath it he really felt that there was something better we should be doing. Well, mm. I don't think you could say that about Richard I don't Gervais. think so. Does he do anything anymore? Does he is he in movies or things? I don't think so. He pitched <laughs> Not after a, tonight. He, he pitched his I think that's the end of Ricky Gervais' entire tonight. career. You know what too, without trying to get too over interpretive, we're living in a time where we're just so saturated with unacceptable words and people expressing opinions and thoughts that are so hateful and negative. Yes. Maybe in a brighter time his darkness would have been seen as refreshing or kind of groundbreaking. But yeah. now it's like we're done. We've got so much negativity always flowing into us yes, all the and, time. Yes, and didn't you find that it damped down all of the energy of the show? When you see Robert De Niro looking shocked like he's going to clutch his pearls, <laughs> you know, something's not working. Really, and it wasn't the fact that he wasn't nominated for The Irishman. Also, the Golden Globes has been known as the award show that's irreverent and fun. Yes. But this was just yes. irreverent and not fun It wasn't all. fun at all. But you miss Tom Hanks. He got a Lifetime Achievement Award. Mm. And he was so dear. And so, and he said he had a cold and he was rambling and oh. not always making sense. But his speeches often don't make sense oh, right. when he wins. No, but he started out and basically choked up and almost could not oh. get out his words of love for his family. Oh. And that was the beginning of it. Oh, sweet. And yeah, it was very sweet. His message seemed to be just do your best. Get out there and do your best. Mm -hmm. And don't question too many things. Mm -hmm. Just make sure that you're doing the best job Making you can. Making your contribution. Yes. Yeah. Make your garden yeah. grow. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could sing or I'd break into a I chorus was of just, it. We have to talk. I think it's time we think about introducing a musical segment into okay. Boomerang. So we'll talk about that for a future I, episode. We will. <laughs> Our next topic is One Child Nation, which you saw, and I knew that it would flip me out, so I yeah, didn't, I, I could see it's see very it. disturbing, and they run a little disclaimer at the start saying that there's some images and stuff that's going to be difficult. So, do you want to talk about who made it? There's two women in it, and one is Chinese, and 
lives in Utah and runs this network where they try to reconnect uh, the Chinese children who were sent to the U.S. as part of this oh, really? separation from their parents. The woman who is the main narrator of it, she goes back to China in the course of the film and she interviews family members who were involved and experienced, as everyone did. Everyone in China went through this thing of the one-child policy. Yes. And it was sold to them, and maybe with some truth, there was going to be, or already was, great famine. And there were going to be millions of people dying yes. of starvation if That's they didn't right. do something about the population. The thing that was the unintended consequence was that there is a huge problem now because there's an overwhelmingly large male population and um, a much smaller population of women. Yeah, they made the uncomfortable point in the movie too that the, both the male and female parents were favoring male children. You know, it's the communist system, so there's these villages where there's always a head of the village. Yes, and knows what the hell's going on. Right, and reports you. Yes. And the deal was, if you had a second child, your house would be demolished. That's how they dealt really? with you. There was all this widespread propaganda all over the walls, everywhere. One child is the way to happiness. One child is the way for China to live. Ironically, they talk about how it was such a successful, I'm doing air quotes, program that now it's two children. Yes. And they have the same graffiti on the walls, oh, they? but they've gone and they've crossed out the one and changed it to two children. But they demonstrate in the course of the movie the depth of the propaganda and the pervasiveness of it. And they interview people who experience this as parents and also as village chiefs that had to enforce this policy on others. And so even people today, even though they're glad the policy's not in place anymore, they will admit that it was horrifying. They also hold to this idea of, yes, it was horrible, but we had to, had do, to do it, it because it. without it, as a country, we would have perished. Well, it wasn't the one-child policy that was so sexist and wrong. It was that one child turned out to be one son. The female children were given to orphanages or... That's right, because everyone favored a male child. Yes. So the second child... But the, if the second child was a boy, too, you'd still be in trouble. I mean... You, well, you couldn't have a second child. Right. But if you were unlucky and mm -hmm. had girl, a female girl first, children... They interview people who were involved in this, like chasing women down and having to like tie them down and force abortions on them. Oh, my God. And they would like leave babies in parking lots and yes. whatever, ditches, and hope that someone would come along. And at a certain point, I think it was in the 80s or 90s, they developed this system of adopting children out to the U.S., and it was girl children who were Mostly available girl for adoption. Children. Yeah, yeah. Well, those orphanages were nefarious. It was also fraudulent to the American couples adopting these kids because they were given fake stories about the child's background. They weren't saying, oh, this child was picked up in a ditch. You know, they made up these stories about the mother was ill and couldn't keep the baby, like palatable stories. Okay. And these kids get adopted and then they, if the parents want to tell them, well, the parents tell them that they're adopted and they might tell them this story because they think it's true. So, I mean, it's also just so fraudulent yeah. and it plays with people's emotions. Well, what would have been the alternative? They they were starving. I mean, that right. was a reality. Yeah. So I guess the unintended consequence was that the female children were disfavored. Well, it was in the culture already before right. the policy ever came along. Right. And it still is to this day. Better that a male, have a, son. a male child. Because they want their name to carry on. Yes. Yeah. And also the male child will be the bigger earner and be able to take care of his parents. Right. In their dotage. Right. But one person interviewed, one old person said, of course, I prefer a son to a daughter because a daughter is going to join someone else's family. A son is going to stay in my family and carry on my name. So this whole thing about carrying on the yes. name is... Uh, yes. 
But did they talk about what alternative there would have been to having a one-child policy? Was there an alternative? Well, I don't know. It's it's interesting. You, you can see that the policy had a reason, but you see the brutality with which it was enforced. And what stood out to me the most was the propaganda factor of how a whole population can be convinced that something is right and good if it's simply repeated enough. And if it sounds like it's for the better of the entire society. Mm-hmm. It's a good movie. It's a difficult movie to watch. I like movies that deal with dark underside of things, but I realize a lot of people do not. So watch it if it's, yeah, if you it's like your cup of tea. You like oh, that. Succession's my guilty pleasure. I love that show. I should like things that are darker. We grew up on Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. That's so right. I'm not sure why I am trepidatious well, about such but, things. You know, there's something hopeful about making a movie about something and getting the word out and letting people know. And that was another big theme of the movie was the concern that's happening now is because the policy has been ended, there's fear that people will forget. Yes, that's true. Not only forget that this happened, but forget that it affected millions of infants, that there was basically a genocide. Yeah. And that's the big danger. And that's the same way I felt about leaving Neverland that dealt with an unpleasant topic is, yes, it's dealing with something painful to look at, but the hopeful side is we're looking at it, we're talking about it, and that could help us going forward. And it's really pervaded as far as leaving Neverland. Mm -hmm. It's pervaded the culture because I just listened to two podcasts on music history that talked about the conflict that the hosts of the show Mm -hmm. had about playing Michael Jackson, but that he's so part of music history, you can't ignore him, but you have to do it with an asterisk. Not to get sidetracked on that, but but I did want to mention, though, one thing that's going on in China now is this situation, which is also horrifying, with the Uyghurs, where... Uyghur Muslims. Yes. In Western China. And it looks like there are at least a million Muslims who have been taken into these re-education camps. And on the daily, there was a man whose mother had been taken in Mm. and was tortured and was finally let out. But it was a very perilous situation. And he lost her. This journalist, whose mother it was, lost her in the system and had no idea what was going on with her. And she was my age and Mm -hmm. was very frail when she came out and was probably not long for this world. But what the Chinese are doing now is this kind of I mean, it's it's very much, although they don't have mass killings, but it is very much like the concentration camps mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of the Germans. They're and grinding the them down. Yes. Yeah. I guess it's good, at least, that the Uyghur situation is reported. It's so. coming out, but we're not doing anything no, about it. that's true. I mean, we're not threatening the Chinese. Well, we don't have an doing... effective government, so yes. we're, we're without leaders right now. That's right. But yeah. The State Department isn't touching it. It's right. catastrophic yeah. as far as human rights are concerned. Yeah. And China has a terrible human rights record anyway. Right. with what's going on in Hong Kong and Mm -hmm. all the rest of it. It's a country that is a world power, and we are not even trying to stop it. Right. You wanted to talk about New Year's resolutions. Oh, yeah. I never make resolutions. Neither do I. I never do. I I don't see any point, and I just figure it's setting yourself up for failure. But there's things I really wanted to do this year, so I've set up, and I think I have to amend it because it's just too many things. Well, here's the one, I, and I like this one. Every day, even if it's just for five minutes, I will practice piano. Because I want, I want to practice my sight reading for piano. Because I never felt like I got comfortable sight reading for okay. piano music. And I just something I want to devote some time to. And it's pleasurable. So that's all fine. And then I have a little bit of clutter problem. Not huge. I'm not a hoarder or anything. No, you're not. But I have these messy drawers and messy desks and messy cupboards. So... 
you know, we've talked about Marie Kondo. Yes, we have. And I know she makes very clear, don't do a room at a time, do a category of thing at a time. In other words, don't do your hall closet, do clothes right? right. or do papers. I'm going to challenge Marie Kondo on this one because years ago I listened to a book on tape right. and it was by some Australian guy who was an expert in decluttering. And the things that stayed with me were just two things. The first is don't have anything that doesn't serve you. Mm-hmm. And the second was don't have anything that you don't find beautiful or that you're not interested in. Well, that fits with her spiel yes, too, right? But you can go through a drawer and look through things that are either useful mm-hmm. or that you find beautiful or intriguing. You don't look at things and say, am I going to use this? Am I not going to use it? Right. If you haven't used it in a year, out it goes. Uh-huh. And it's simple. And I it changed know. my life. Oh, cool. Well, I'm doing, t- my approach is, I, I'm starting with one of my kitchen drawers right here. I'm taking 10 things out of that drawer a day that can be thrown out. And if they can't be thrown out because I think I might want to keep them in the drawer, I keep them in the drawer. But I've made huge progress with this oh. one drawer. And then when the drawer gets clean, I'll move on to another drawer or corner of a cupboard or something. But it's it's discarding 10 things a day. I have a backlog of snail mail and it's too overwhelming for me to do them all. So I just do 10 things a day with that too. If you need to get rid of it. That's so interesting because I never let my mail sit. I always open it. I open it every day. Oh, and one last thing. Once a day, I listen to a meditation tape on the Calm app on my phone. Yes. Have you gotten Calm? No, I mean, I have it. I do have it. I do have it. (laughs) 21 days of Calm. And I'm on day five now. So that's, but that's four things. That's a lot. Well, I might let one or two of them go. I am not in the habit of making New Year's resolutions because I find that they're like promises that are Mm -hmm. made to be broken. I'm the same. I don't know what happened to me. My life has changed since I got my Christmas tree. (laughs) I've become like, I've just changed. It has changed you. You're in touch with your, your inner child. Oh, my, my ornaments. I'm putting my ornaments away now, and I, I just don't know if I can live without them for 11 months. It's very hard. I have ornaments that go back to when the girls were born, oh, yeah. and I put them away every year, and I think to myself, what's going to happen? What's going to be different between this year and next year? Yeah. And the thing that was different this year was there was a little puppy dog in the oh, mix. Oh, that's right. So that was a big difference. That was a big thing. Yeah. And who knows what's going to be different between this year and next year. Right. So I always look forward to that. I'm going to keep at it. I'll tell you, it is giving me a sense of kind of puritanistic... I feel industrious, you know. I feel like I'm oh, good. like I'm a busy bee. Good. And there's, I don't know. I'm taking some pleasure in that. That's a lot of progress. <laughs> what has happened to my life? <laughs> I used to care about big things, Ruth. <laughs> now no. it's about getting the placemats in my drawer. No, it's no. There is something to be said for maintenance. Maintenance yeah. is something that I used to resist because I found it tedious and, and it's for the little people. It's for the little people. That's the thing that you pay other people to That's do. Right. For you. That's right. But no, I I like my maintenance now. Good. I do my maintenance with with an open heart and okay. a and a and a, and a, no shame. And a, and a dustpan. <laughs> yes. No shame. No, um, I don't have any shame. I yeah. keep my clutter down. I go into my drawers and throw out the things that I don't need yeah. on a regular basis. And yeah. I, it's very liberating. Right. So that's all I'll say. About okay. That. Well, who knows? This may be a start of some very big, I don't know, shift in my whole experience. It absolutely it's, could. It's starting just with these 10 little things a day. So we will see. I had a thing where, as you know, my car, the one that I had before, 
was filled with crap. Oh, I mean, yeah. just filled right. with every kind of thing. Yeah. And when I got a bicycle for those two and a half years, right. I couldn't put anything in the bicycle right. that was going to be anything but useful to mm-hmm. that particular ride. And I had to be very organized because right. if I brought something with me, I had to know that I had a place to put it yeah. or I didn't bring it. That's right. And now I have nothing in my car. Yeah. My car has nothing in it. I never carry anything in it. I don't have a scrap of paper that floats around in my car. And it's, it is truly liberating. Yeah. I'm getting there. It's a process. Yeah. It's a journey. <laughs> <laughs> the next story that we're going to go on to is Putin. And you've brought this up a few times. And I was just curious because I think that we both agree he started something with Trump. And in other countries, too. And and I he's done it. He's, in Brexit he, and all of that. Brexit, yes. It's just logical. I'm certainly not well-schooled on international relations or international affairs, any of that. But just in terms of plain old so-called common sense, who benefits if the NATO alliance is weakened? Putin, who benefits if there's discord in the European community between England and other countries? Oh, completely. Of course. Everything that's happening that is being caused or at least contributed to by Trump benefits him. Who benefits if we get in a fight with China about tariffs? Who benefits if we decide to cozy up to North Korea and let go of our commitments and responsibilities to the rest of Asia, particularly South Korea. Yes, South Korea. Putin, exactly. he benefits from everything. Yes. So it's just clear to me that he's behind this. But what I'm so shocked about is how one person can affect political waves right. in so many different countries Well, and maybe so many different institutions. Maybe social media came along at just the right time for him to take advantage of and to use as a very potent tool. They were probably always trying through propaganda to push their agenda, as all countries do, including yes. us. But I think they just somehow they found this stooge in Trump. They have something on him. I don't know what it is, but they've got him. He's under their thumb. It's just everything that seems to happen that's so outrageous seems to happen to Russia's advantage. And and it advances his Mm -hmm. agenda. Anytime he can sow discord between us and our allies, that's a huge deal. But is he doing it? I guess my question is, who is helping him facilitate this? We know that there is something called the IRA that is an institution that generates propaganda. On social media. Yes. Yeah, Internet Research Agency. But is Putin himself, is he the sole mastermind? Because it speaks to a kind of brilliance that no one else on the, you know, the world stage really can claim right now. Maybe it's not that sophisticated at its heart. Maybe it's just an old principle of divide and conquer. Maybe it's a simple thing. Maybe it's just so discord between the U.S. and its allies. Any instability that happens in the West helps him. So maybe he's not intimately involved with the details of how to go into Facebook and how to go into Instagram and how to do all those ads and things like that. But the agenda is make Americans hate each other and make them get at each other and make them weaker because they're not unified against a common enemy. Or take the places where they are unified, say NATO as an example, or our relations with South Korea, and tear those apart. Yeah, so maybe I've seen too many movies, but I think the truth is going to come out. I don't know if it's going to be sooner or later. Well, the story was fairly simple with the Mueller report. Right. That was pretty straightforward. They were very clear on what the Russians did. Right. And they couldn't pin it on 
Trump directly, right? Which is another part of the genius of how that whole thing unschooled, right? right. Even so, they didn't need him to make the case that Russia was really at the with center. election interference, and yes, things like that, yeah. Election interference yeah. and all of the rest of the malfeasance right, right. that they cooked up. You also have someone who wants to be a dictator. Mm -hmm. They were drawing him in from the 80s. They Trump. looked at Yes. They looked at someone who is weak, mm -hmm. willed, mm -hmm. has appetites, right. has delusions of grandeur. And, and has secrets it. that have to be kept. Well, they may have created the secrets for him, do you know? They yeah. may have created the world in which those secrets had to be concealed. What is amazing at the end of the day is that a party that used to look at Russia as a sworn oh, yeah. enemy is now wrapping their arms around them. And vice versa. The liberals were the ones who were perceived as, anyway, as soft on Russia. You know, soft on communism. Soft on communism and open to the whole idea of redistribution of wealth and all those things that are considered so horrible. And it was... Yeah, that's flipped around entirely. So you have Nancy Pelosi... Shaken her copy of the U.S. Constitution, where back in the day it would have been the other way around. Yeah, it's too easy to get to just throw up your hands and go. There's no point anymore. That's what they. That's what they want us to do. They want us to despair yeah. and stay that's home right. and not vote. That's what Russia wants. Yeah. So we can't do that. Get everybody you that's know to vote. The best thing for them would be for us to stop caring or believing in the possibility of change. They mm. can't. They can't hold me down. I'm the unsinkable Molly Brown. <laughs> yes, you <laughs> I are. I ain't down yet. <laughs> And that will do it for us, Boomers. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be talking to you in a week. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye. bye.